Talking with My Mouthful is supported by Abio Kitchen and their chef-approved line of stainless steel cookware. Abio is committed to providing the cookware to help you become a more confident home cook. The Abio set comes with the five pans you need to do 95% of your cooking at half the price of comparable sets. The one and I use it in our home and we love it. Visit abiokitchen.com to learn more. David, how has Mm -hmm. everything going on affected your day-to-day work life? It hasn't really affected my work life in the sense that I've always worked from home for the last 25 years or so. I've worked from home. Now, the difference is the one is here. So (laughs) suddenly there's someone in my space when I'm not used to that. And while it's wonderful when I'm trying to work and he decides that he wants to talk about, oh, I don't know, the color of the paint for the room. It's (laughs) it does interrupt things. But a little I'm fortunate that it hasn't interrupted my life too much. How about you, Renee? It's barely affected my work compared to most people, right? Mm. I'm incredibly fortunate. I mean, I teach yoga as well, and obviously studios shut down, but I'm learning to teach online, so that's fine. But with Leeds, mm-hmm. again, the mechanics of what I'm doing day to day is the same, but I did scramble quite a lot to try to get more and more pantry-friendly recipes on the site for people. And bread recipes too, right? And bread recipes. Well, that was the first couple of weeks until everyone ran out of flour and yeast. That's so very true. So then we true. started putting sourdough starter recipes on the site and mm-hmm. gluten-free recipes, right? That don't contain flour. So Smart. We're just trying to respond in the moment to what people are experiencing and what they're asking us for. But, you know, we're very, very fortunate because we do work at home, but millions and millions of people are severely impacted by what is basically the shutdown of America. And among the hardest hit people are the hospitality workers. So today we're taking a more serious sidetrack to discuss the economic impact coronavirus is having on the restaurant industry. Hello, I'm David Leet, founder of the website Leet's Culinaria. And I'm Renee Shetler, editor-in-chief. And this is Talking With My Mouthful. Our guest today is none other than the dryly witty, vocally outspoken chef, Hugh Atchison. You've seen him on Top Chef and Top Chef Masters as a contestant and judge. Hugh's the owner of three restaurants all in Georgia, and he's the author of five cookbooks, four of which, along with some recipes, are featured on Leeds Culinaria. Welcome, Hugh. Well, thanks for having me, David. So, Hugh, we've been hearing a lot about what's going on with you, but... Before we get to that, what have you been doing besides teaching your dog, Dolly, how to cook pasta? Oh, it's my girlfriend's dog. But, uh, it, you know, <laughs> d- uh, Dolly is a very bright dog, a little uh, little puppy-centric, but that's okay. No, we've been doing a lot. You know, it's, uh, it's, it's crisis time, and yeah. uh, so every day is a little bit different in my world. But um, Empire State South, we closed down the restaurants on the Ides of March, on March 15th. So uh, we immediately started pivoting towards doing some pretty lavish to-go stuff at Empire. Mm -hmm. Um, We're still doing some approximation of that, more just geared towards the weekends. Not because the market dried up on viability of it, but it's not really economically viable for the long term because it's a paltry amount compared to our regular sales. But what we've pivoted to is uh, working with the Blank Family Foundation, who's Arthur Blank, and uh, World Central Kitchen, Mm -hmm. and doing... 
upwards of 700 meals a day as sort of box lunches delivered to in-need neighborhoods and the medical and first responders and hospitals and all sorts of different drop points. And we're doing the same thing out of 5 and 10 in Athens, uh, mm-hmm. Georgia. So that's what we've been doing. And then just, uh, you know, doing a lot of paperwork these days. And what about by George? What's happening there? By George is dark. It's a hotel restaurant, so it's the mm. hotel's shut down right now, and uh, sure. the lights will come back on there when when the coast is clear. It's a mm-hmm. stunning building, and uh, you know my teams have all been furloughed, and you know, but you know, I, th- I think we're dealing pretty well with it. We uh, we've uh, I kind of pivoted towards a lot of people in the industry really advocating selling gift certificates or merch or doing whatever you can, and I just didn't think that that would be. Gift certificates are a bit of a dangerous game to play because you don't want to, you know, capitalize your bank account to pay the bills and payroll with selling fifty thousand dollars in gift certificates that then immediately come back at you when you reopen because then you're right. just not getting the cash you need to be uh, running the business. So what we done is over sort of a two year period, I sort of reached out on social media with a really simple hand scrawled post and uh, invited people to prepay for caterings where I would personally do it with one of my chefs and Mm -hmm. parties of 12 to 20 people uh, kind of all around Georgia, even Spartanburg, uh, one in Austin. Uh, And a relatively high price point, but we sold a ton of them. Uh, So that really gave us uh, viability to to sort of secure our situation and make sure that we weren't going to drown in uh, arrears and things like that. So uh, yeah, a lot of things like that. And then, you know, just pivoting towards planning and strategizing towards re reopening the, mm-hmm. the businesses eventually. But that's so day-to-day. So in the interim, I think we can do a lot for our community and we can do a lot for the heroes on the front line right now who are not soldiers, but they're doctors and nurses and hospital workers and FedEx delivery guys and girls and all those people. One of the things, Hugh, that I was very impressed with is you're very concerned about your workers, about their welfare and what's happening to them. So can you tell our listeners what is happening to those who were working on the line, who were waitresses and waiters in the restaurants? What's going on with them and how are you trying to help them? You know, we've set up GoFundMe pages uh, for the restaurants to assist them. Um, But, you know, they've, they've gone on... They've been furloughed, so most of the staff, about 95% of the staff at all locations, has gone uh, on unemployment benefits, and and that's that's you know that's the last social net that we really have in this country, other than SNAP and what used to be called food stamps. Mm-hmm. Um, and but it's it's still a pretty robust situation. Who knows if it'll be around much longer after this? It's just costing trillions of dollars to fund it. Um, but so they're there. I mean we're going to get them all back and we're going to give them the jobs they had and we'll see how the industry fares when we reopen. Uh, The biggest concern we have is that upon reopening that uh, it's going to be slow going to get the crowds back because uh, people are honestly and very smartly concerned about gathering in, in larger groups. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Of course. Well, and you're obviously concerned about the welfare of your employees and others, but what about yourself? You mentioned mm-hmm. in a magazine interview a couple of weeks ago that you had $26 in your checking account. <laughs> yeah, I know. And nobody could believe that. But, you know, <laughs> it would, you look, my, my, I, I actually don't take salaries from the restaurants. Mm-hmm. I just, I get profits when they're there and, and when they're not, 
and we, you know, have a savings fund and things like that. I get paid from a lot of other ventures like uh, writing books and, uh, you know, doing little things here and there. Um, so we have steady sources of in- income. It's just not like a salary. So, you know, one day my, you know, I think I was in that circumstance. I was, did really have $26 in my bank account, but I was waiting on a pretty substantial book payment. So we're fine. We'll get by. Good. And then one of the things many chefs have been saying is that it's important to keep ordering fresh food, produce, and meats, especially from local providers, and not so much packaged goods, because we want to keep the supply chain going. Now, do you agree with that? Yeah, I mean, wholeheartedly. I I think that it's all based on what your individual needs are and Mm -hmm. economic status is. Mm -hmm. Um, Right now, if you have to live on uh, SpaghettiOs, you go and eat those SpaghettiOs. Um, You know, nobody's judging right now. But, you know, there are wonderful organic farms that that we have, um, you know, been supporting over 50 restaurants or over 50 farms in Georgia that we buy from regularly. And so it's it's important to make sure that they've got an outlet to sell their product. If they're just not going to plant a new crop, then that's really going to impact the next four months from now when that crop is meant to be harvested. So, you know, somehow you've, you know, our farmer's market's gone to a pretty robust online ordering system. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the restaurants are still able to order from local farms to do to-go food and uh, to do all this uh, first responders and in-need meals that we're doing. So that you know, we're we're not we're not uh, lowering our expectations to the food we want to serve, mm-hmm. even given the fact that it's a box lunch for somebody uh, in an ER. Right. Now, one of the things you've talked about, you've been very vocal about the federal government and what they've done or haven't done in this situation. How do you think the federal government has failed the restaurant industry? I just. Uh, you know, if I hear one more time from the federal government that this really took them by surprise, mm-hmm. nobody saw this coming. Mm-hmm. Everybody saw this coming. Um, I remember reading in late January about restaurants in Shanghai, and they had lost 90% of their business. Shanghai is like 600 miles away from Wuhan, mm-hmm. yet they were feeling this extreme loss of business and going broke. And I remember reading that going, hmm, it's only a matter of time. And, and it was. And uh, for us not to be ready for any sort of pandemic, uh, for the constantly out of the White House blaming previous administrations, uh, it, you know, we're three years into this, you know, situation and with this White House and they had ample time to prepare for this. But unfortunately, they threw away all the playbooks. Um, so, I, you know, I think that it's state by state and governors have been and running the shows sometimes really well. I live in Georgia. I'm not sure if that's really the case, mm-hmm. but we're getting there. I mean, I think that uh, more interesting to me is how regardless of how much you ask of chefs and restaurants, they show up. Uh, even when we were the first industry to completely get annihilated by this, we show up and we show up by cooking for people and tending to people and providing and doing everything we can in our power to make sure that our community is okay. Mm-hmm. This reminds me of nine 11 because when the towers went down, the food community just descended upon downtown and took care of the first responders. And it was extraordinary to see this happen. That's the beautiful thing, I think, about chefs. At Mm -hmm. heart, you guys are givers. And Mm -hmm. food connects people in so many ways, especially at times like this. So speaking of, when restaurants do come back, Hugh, do you have any idea what do you think this landscape's going to look like? 
You know, Tom Colicchio, who I'm very close with, was mm-hmm. initially saying 75% probably wouldn't come back. And he, because of the PPP and the CARES Act and things like that, they're going to assist people in coming back and some of their costs are going to be covered. You're going to see a more successful comeback uh, than, than just 25% of the restaurant world coming back to work. But I think the landscape is going to be completely different than what we're used to. I think uh, people like Rene Rizepi at Noma have really called out that they're going to have to change. They're going to have to pivot to a much different scenario. Mm-hmm. I think our ability and want to spend $500 on a meal that lasts three hours long at lunch is kind of it's kind of out the window. Uh, and I think for a while we're going to need a little more distance scenarios. I think uh, fine dining is really going to take a big hit. Mm-hmm. I think to-go food will still be on the rise. I think, you know, but I, you know, as much as I appreciate the sweet greens of the world, I don't want to lose what I love in this business, which is um, the people that provide hospitality. I don't mm-hmm. think you can uh, you can have hospitality truly in a setting that's not full service. I mean, you can, but it's just not the same. Um, so I'm a little worried about what, what the uh, return's going to be like. A lot of people are going to, you know, if we employ 12 to 15 million people in hospitality in the United States, uh, you know, 4 million of those are not coming back to jobs. Yeah. Jobs just probably aren't going to be there. So, you know, and the biggest thing we can do now is provide a massive public works program that changes this country for the better, that mm-hmm. we know we've got a lot to do. We know we've got a lot to build. We know we've got a lot of lot to fix, and we've got a lot of modernization and progress to make. So we have to put those people back to work in those fields. Now, I was wondering, Hugh, with all of this quarantining going on, so many industries are being reconfigured and rethought. I know, for instance, a lot of companies are saying, hey, this idea of actually working from home and being productive can actually happen. Do you think that this quarantining the way we've been will affect and change basically how the restaurant industry works? Will there be some changes done? I think that you're going to be looking at sanitation in a much under a much closer microscope, which is good. We're all in favor of that. We're yeah. all in favor of making sure that uh, that that's really analyzed and that HACCP plans and, and action plans are really taken into account. Um, I, I don't really have the template for that just yet and the blueprint for that, how that's going to go forward, but you know, we're pretty sure it's going to happen. So that's not a bad thing. No, not at all. In the meantime, what can we, you know, the public, people who've been loving going to restaurants and miss it and want to help support in any modest ways that we can, what can we do now? I mean... I think that the the smarter restaurateurs who are really caring for their people um, have furloughed them to to make sure they're well compensated by the government in this downturn. And uh, I think that outside of that, you just need to come back um, at the end of this. That's that's the biggest obligation you have as a as a customer. Um, you know, if if you didn't try and go back, don't be confused when that place. Reopens them, fumbles, and goes out of business. Yeah, um, you know, buying gift certificates is fine. Buying merch is fine. Buying to go food is a really iffy scenario. I think I can. We've we've got a lot of systems in place. Um, you know, I've had the same crew cooking every day, uh, mm-hmm. five days a week, and there's no other crew. Uh, which means that those people go into work and they go home from, they go back home after work. They don't do anything else. Right. They challenge each other and talk to each other about what they're doing and what they're doing for safety. They're not allowed to go shopping. If they need anything like toilet paper, I'll order it for them through, you know, 
U.S. Foods or something like that, a large uh, distributor. Um, you know, so we're, we're able to get systems in place that assure safety for them. Temperatures are checked when they come in. Anybody who's feeling well stays at home and comes nowhere near the place, you know, but we've, we've been really lucky. Uh, we're feeding them well and keeping them healthy and they're, they're enthused to be there. And they're, it's also key to understand that they are there on their own volition. Right. Uh, nobody is saying we, I, I've said to my crew who's working there right now, you have every opportunity to call me and say, I don't want to do this anymore. We don't want to do this anymore. We're done. We think it's too dangerous. If they want to, Throw in the towel. I will support them 100. Um, percent But you know they're they're keeping on because they see a need, and right now we're we're fulfilling a need of uh, getting food to populations that are just not getting it. You know, at the end of the day, if you're making podcasts and you're speaking on a mic and all sorts of stuff, you probably have the ability to get by. Exactly. Um, and a lot of Americans don't. You know, last week in uh, Athens or my local hospital. Um, and there, there were a number of people who were admitted for signs of malnutrition and starvation. They had nothing to do with COVID-19, but yeah. these are elderly people who barely get by and don't know many people. And they've been sitting terrified in their houses for two weeks. And that to me is something in this amazing nation of splendor and wealth that it blows my bloody mind that that happens. No, especially in this country. So, Hugh, let's talk a little bit about something more hopeful, I'd say. Uh, seed Life Skills. Tell us a bit about that. Yeah, it's a program we initiated a number of years ago mm-hmm. to really redefine home economics and how it was being taught. We think there's, there's beauty and importance in producing good citizens in public education and any educational system. Um, and what Seed Life Skills was sort of analyzed it like looking at a Lego set. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a good cook, and one of the reasons I'm a good cook is I just have a lot of pieces of technique that I can assemble. My, my Lego set is bigger culinarily than most people. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> but I still want every citizen to know how to, you know, when they're in fifth, sixth, seventh grade, learn how to roast a chicken and uh, cut vegetables and make a salad dressing from scratch and make a simple soup. And it's not about prizing important, fanciful ingredients, but it's about teaching really retainable life skills so everybody can say these three magic words when they get to be 18, 19, 20, which is uh, life's difficult, but I got this. I got this. So I think that that somehow generationally we lost a whole generation of cooks. So I started to see life skills a number of years ago. It's a charitable organization. It's kind of not very active right now, but what it did is it succeeded in getting a complete curriculum up online mm-hmm. that any school district in the world can download for free. It's got ancillary print matter that you can get printed as notebooks and sticker sets and all this stuff. But really, it's just teaching kids how to be, you know, good nourishing stewards of their own existence as opposed to, you know, hoping for the next Happy Meal. See, and that's what I was so fascinated by is that any school now can use that curriculum, use that information to be able to have that seed life skills program in their own schools, in their own communities. Yeah. And it's a, 
STEAM and STEM oriented program. So, mm -hmm. you know, if you teach kids how to cook, I think you're teaching them about math and ratios and understanding of science and, you know, emulsification and all these things that are so entwined into cooking that those are such attributes of STEAM and STEM learning that it's, I think it's important. But again, it's about retainable life skills. It's like the fact that we have that the world really ever invented instant minute rice mm -hmm. and why we have things like crumbled feta and like, can you not crumble feta? It's pretty easy. Uh, and yeah, and yeah. bouillon cubes and all yeah. this jazz where, you know, all you need to do is, and, but everybody says, well, cooking from scratch is, takes time. And it does. Sure. Um, going through the Chick-fil-A drive-thru also takes about 15 minutes. Um, <laughs> yes, and I can cook you a good meal for a lot less money in 15 minutes at home. And you can too, and everybody can. And that's just an empowering thing. So it's just about a matter of getting kids to think differently about food. Well, Hugh, it's been a pleasure speaking to you. There's so much more we need to talk about in the restaurant world and also how we all can help each other. But thank you for this conversation. Well, thank you guys. It's, it's been a delight to be on and I'm gonna go deliver some meals. Take care of yourself, Hugh. Thank you much. Hugh Atchison is the owner of several acclaimed restaurants in Atlanta and Athens, Georgia. He's also the author of five books, including the James Beard Award winner, A New Turn in the South. He appeared as a contestant and judge on Bravo's Top Chef and Top Chef Masters. You can find him on all social media platforms and at HughAtchison.com, where you can also learn more about and donate to Seed Life Skills. This podcast is produced by Overit Studios, and our producer is the enormously patient Adam Claremont. You can reach Adam and Overit Studios at overitstudios.com. And remember to subscribe to Talking With My Mouthful and listen to us wherever you go. We'd like to thank our sponsor, Abio Kitchen. You can try Abio right now by going to abiokitchen.com and using the code LC15 for 15% off all Abio cookware. Ciao.